And good morning once again. If I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 8. If you're new with us, we want to welcome you. It's good to see you this morning. Also to let you know that we are working our way through John's Gospel here at Calvary on Sunday morning. We are currently in John chapter 8 where we find Jesus who on numerous occasions uh, said that he came from the Father to declare God's truth to a world filled with Satan's lies. Um, and as he's declaring truth, right here in John 8, he gets into a major confrontation with the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders in Israel, but who had themselves embraced a lot of Satan's lies. And uh, so they uh, opposed Jesus and confronted him, and it gets rather heated as Jesus is standing up for truth, and these men are trying to put him down and to uh, basically uh, challenge what he was teaching. And uh, this led, as I said, to a confrontation where at one point uh, they claimed that, that uh, the God of Israel was their father. We don't know who your father is, they said to Jesus. We weren't born of fornication, but we know who our father is. Our father is God the Father. To which Jesus responded in verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources or his own native language one translation has it for he is a he is a liar and the father of it now guys this last statement of jesus where he said that satan is the father of lies is a statement that we keyed in on last week said we would revisit and amplify this week because it contains a lot more in the way of historical and doctrinal content than might appear at first glance I think we read this, we would be prone to just kind of read through it and go on to the next statement Jesus said. But as we really take the time to look at this, and I've chosen to do that uh, over last week and this week, because what Jesus said here is going to have a great deal of impact for the last day's generation, which I believe we are of. Now, first of all, let me just say this. As we said last time, I don't think that when Jesus said that Satan was the father of lies, that he was claiming that Satan was the uh, source of every lie ever spoken on the face of the earth. He might be. I don't think so. Okay. Remember, the context is false doctrine. False doctrine. The lies Satan has gotten the human race to believe that will send people to hell. That's the issue. That's why Jesus came. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to set men and women free from Satan's lies by giving them God's truth, which would redeem them and take them from, from children of the devil to children of God with a place reserved for them in heaven once they die where they will live with him forever. So the idea is Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. This was the confrontation. This was what it was all about. The Pharisees challenged him because they were operating under Satan's control. Uh, they had embraced Satan's lies. And they were challenging Jesus' uh, declarations of God's truth because they didn't believe he came from God. And so this is how it got heated. This is the context. And this is what Jesus is uh, talking about. He's focusing on the lies of the devil that send people to hell. Sure, the devil lies about all kinds of things. But none of those things have eternal consequences to attach to it. But when he comes against the gospel and Jesus Christ himself personally, then, of course, those are lies that are, uh, will damn pe people to hell for eternity. So when Jesus talked about Satan being the father of lies, as we said last week, I believe he had one lie in particular in mind. A single lie that has given birth to many different lies, different false doctrines. This one lie is talked about, actually you see it in different places throughout the Bible, but it is singled out in Romans 125 
and in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11, where Paul calls it not a lie, as in one of many, he calls it the lie. The lie, as in the mother of lies. Again, guys, the world is full of lies. That's true. But there is one lie that is the mother of all spiritual lies, that the father of lies, the devil, introduced into the human race in the Garden of Eden. Now, bear with me because I just want to review a little bit, not much, but a little, to bring us up to speed because this is kind of part two from last week, okay? This one lie is so dangerous that by the time it's all over, what do I mean? By the time human history comes to an end and Jesus establishes his kingdom, this one lie, and I'm not overstating this, will have caused the spiritual death, people in hell, will have caused the spiritual death of billions and billions of people throughout the history of mankind upon the earth. It's a lie that has been growing and spreading ever since the Garden of Eden, and now it has reached its full ripeness and is, will be very soon readily consumed by the people of this world in these last days, especially the generation that will be alive just prior to Jesus Christ's return to the planet Earth to establish his kingdom. We are in, yes, exciting times if you're a believer, but we are in very perilous and dangerous times for people at large. The deception is being ramped up like never before. Jesus said in talking about this time, if it were possible because the spiritual deception would be so incredible that Satan would flood the zone with so many false prophets and false Christ, that if it were possible, if he hadn't warned us and told us again what the truth was, even the elect would be deceived. That's how incredible this darkness is going to be right before Christ returns. We quoted last week, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, where Paul the Apostle actually prophesies about this time. He said, now the Holy Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. As we pointed out last time, demons are teachers. Demons are teachers who teach Satan's lies, his false doctrines, to the gullible and undiscerning people of this world. But especially they teach the lie, the lie. These doctrines of the lie are what the occultists and New Agers refer to as the cosmic gospel. So we have our good news, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth. The devil's a counterfeiter. So he comes in with what his people have referred to as the cosmic gospel. What is it? It's the lie. I'll tell you about it in just a second. All right. As we said last time, though, it's a message that is flooding into our world from dozens of different directions all at the same time. Groups that are not connected at all are all saying the same thing, all embracing the same lie. As we said last week, it's a message people have heard from extraterrestrials, aliens that they've encountered. They've heard it while in seances, while on LSD trips, which the Bible calls sorcery and forbids. They've, they've heard the same message from um, in deep yoga trances while practicing transcendental meditation out of Ouija boards through mediums who are in contact with the spirit realm. Again, it's a message that is flooding into our world in preparation for the revealing of the Antichrist. That's what's going on. And I'll talk about that more in just a second. But... Um, as I said last time, I believe that the lie that Satan introduced into the human race in the Garden of Eden is going to be the very lie the Antichrist will use to deceive the world when he comes on the world scene. So think about it. The very lie that Satan used in the Garden of Eden 6,000 years ago to deceive what was the human race back then, two people only, Adam and Eve, he has been cultivating and it's been growing and he's going to use this very lie 
through the mouth of the Antichrist to be the very lie that will deceive the world in the end, the time just prior to Christ's return. We know that the Bible teaches that there is going to emerge, I believe he's alive right now, a world leader who will eventually come on the scene, be thrust into power because the world will think he is the Messiah. We know him as the Antichrist. He will come on the world scene and will unite the world in a one world government. The Bible says that he will have a cohort that uh, the scriptures call the false prophet who will unite the world in a one world religion. Together, they will deceive the whole world except for those people who receive Jesus Christ as their Savior during the tribulation period. So Satan will be extremely active in promoting his lie, and I believe billions will embrace it, but not everyone. God has got people that he knows will receive the truth once it's presented, and they will be saved, killed by the Antichrist, but they will be saved. Paul the Apostle said the mystery of iniquity is already at work. He said that 2,000 years ago. And I believe what he meant by that was that Satan is already at work in the world. <laughs> that was in Paul's day. I think it goes back to the Garden of Eden. But Satan is already preparing the world to receive this lie and has been for the last 6,000 years. Paul also admonished us not to be ignorant of Satan's methods we must be, if we're going to be vigilant, Jesus told us we must be vigilant looking for his return. And here's what's going to precede my return. The Antichrist promoting the lie, many being deceived, false prophets and false Christs everywhere. Be warned, I'm telling you beforehand so you're not deceived. How can you be vigilant if you don't know what the word of God teaches? So let's go back to Genesis 3. And let's look at the lie that Satan told Eve in the Garden of Eden, which started all of this. I just want to read the first five verses. You can read the whole chapter uh, this week. We see in verse 1, Now the serpent, which is a reference to Satan, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Eve, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So guys, this lie, this lie that Satan told Eve was made up of four false doctrines, four different but connected doctrines. You'll find these four doctrines in part or in total in almost every false religion, cult, occult, and humanistic teaching on the face of the earth, especially in these last days. These four basic doctrines that make up Satan's lie are, and I'm going to give them to you. We could spend weeks on each one. That's not my uh, desire. I just want to give you a working knowledge. You can do your own research. You can do your own digging. In fact, go online, access our series we did several years ago called The Battle for Truth. We get into all of this and take it to great lengths to show you what's coming and what is here. Okay? So four basic doctrines that make up Satan's lie. What? The Bible calls the lie. Number one. Now some of these are more easy to uh, spot than others. Some of them are pretty obvious. Some of them you have to really kind of look for what is being implied and said. Okay. This first one may not jump off the page. But it's definitely implied. Here it is. The first uh, tenet or doctrine of the lie is that God is not personal. But an impersonal force that fills the universe and everything and everyone in it. When Satan came to Eve, one of the things he subtly planted into her mind was the concept that the person she had come to know as God, listen now, was not God because of who he was, 
but was God because of what he knew. You see it in verse 5. You will be like God knowing. Knowing. In other words, this God that Eve knew had found out how to tap into a force that made him God. And now he was trying to keep her from understanding what this God force was because he did not want her to find the same divinity in Godhood that he had found. Satan is implying through these verses that God is a selfish deity because he is keeping from, from you something that will allow you to become a God just like him. He's not God because of who he is. He's God because of what he knows. And if you know what he knows, you can become God too. That's the general idea. So here, guys, we have the first part of the lie. God is not personal, but an impersonal force that fills the universe and flows through everything and everyone in it. Now, I'm a sci-fi buff. I love science fiction. And uh, I just really enjoyed those Star Wars movies. They got started back in the 70s, okay? Long before I was a Christian, all right? And I embraced them and I loved them. It wasn't until I got saved that I began to realize how much of the lie was incorporated into those movies. Now, I still watch them. I know what, you know, I like the science fiction special effects, but I'm not dumb any longer to what they're, the message they're teaching. This was the main message that was preached through the Star Wars movies. You remember the, the, the phrase, may the force be with you. George Lucas, who created the Star Wars uh, movies, he said his words that these movies were his attempts to preach, to evangelize people in the way of the force. He, liked, he fancied himself as the Billy Graham of the force. Those movies, as entertaining as they were, were designed to educate, indoctrinate you into doctrines of demons. Of course, a force, like electricity, which is a force, is impersonal and amoral and isn't going to hassle you with morals. That's the appeal today. If God is a force, that means that, you know, I'm not held to any personal God's standard of right and wrong. Those who believe in the force uh, don't believe in moral absolutes because the God force is in you, they say. And so therefore, you only need to look within to find your truth, to find what's right or wrong for you. But all truth is relative, not absolute, because, you know, you are part of that force, okay? Number two, so first of all, God is not personal, but an impersonal force. Number two, the second element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that there is no ultimate death. No ultimate death. When Satan told Eve, you will not surely die, he was saying to her, Eve, there is no ultimate death. Now, this is more obvious than some of the others. Of course, this became the basis for the doctrine of reincarnation. Reincarnation is the process of spiritual evolution, whereby our spirit keeps being reincarnated, you might say recycled, upon the earth in a new body in the hope that every time a person comes back and is reincarnated upon the earth in a different body, they will come back to live a, a little better life than the last time, more moral, more spiritually enlightened. And the goal is that you keep doing this, you keep evolving, eventually you will evolve into Godhood. That's what they believe. You see, if we're all part of the God force, which they believe, the God force is eternal. So if my body dies, my spirit never dies because it is part of the eternal God force. It just keeps getting recycled into a new body. In other words, there is no ultimate death. Now, we also saw this uh, being taught, this doctrine in the Star Wars movies. Remember, and if you, some of you ladies have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about Star Wars, you have to Google it and watch some of the scenes I, you know, on YouTube or something. But you remember, those of you who have watched the movies remember how when Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Luke's friend, 
was struck down by Darth Vader, he didn't stop existing, did he? No. He continued to communicate to Luke Skywalker as a disembodied spirit from out on the astral plane. In other words, there is no ultimate death. That's what Hinduism and the New Age movement believes and teaches. That when we die, our spirit simply moves out onto the astral plane where we wait for a new body to be reincarnated into. Now, the Mormon church embraces this doctrine. And that's why, if you know any Mormons, they consider it a grave sin not to have a lot of kids. You think, well, they're just pro-family, <laughs> pro-big family. Well, I'm not saying they're not pro-family. I'm just saying the basis for wanting to have a lot of kids is because they are taught that you have all these spirits out in the astral plane waiting for bodies to be reincarnated into. And it's a great sin not to have a lot of kids to give bodies to these spirits so they can come back to the earth and hopefully get it right a little more and next time a little more until they evolve to Godhood. You're hindering them. Of course, the main problem, which is easy for us as evangelicals to pick out, the main problem with the doctrine of reincarnation is that it does away with the reality of judgment and hell. And therefore lulls those who follow its teaching into a false sense of hope that if they blow it in this life, okay, really mess up, there's always going to be another opportunity, listen, to redeem themselves in the life to come. Of course, God's word says that it is appointed for a man, woman, to die once, and then comes the judgment. Reincarnation says, no, no, no. There is no judgment after death you just keep getting another chance to come back to the earth to do better next time now what message do you think is more appealing to the people of this world you got one chance in life you, you better make it count receive christ get your life right with god live for him because if you die as an unbeliever you're going to go to hell forever well how does that sound it's very negative right judgmental how does that sound compared to reincarnation Oh, we're all just flawed. That's, you know, you do your best, you mess up. Next time around, you'll do better. Oh, I like that. No hell, no judgment. I just keep getting another chance. I keep coming back and get it right. But of course, this takes away the consequences of sin. Again, judgment, hell. And keeps people from experiencing what the Bible calls the fear of of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the fear of coming judgment. Paul uh, Solomon told us in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Those who don't hate evil because they don't have consequences that they're worried about for committing or living an evil life they have no fear of the Lord, okay? And when the fear of coming judgment is removed, that's what the fear of the Lord is, the fear of coming judgment. When the fear of, the, of coming judgment is removed from a society, the inevitable result will be an explosion of sin rooted in self-love. That's exactly what we're seeing today. And I blame pastors in churches that are so worried about offending people. We're the conscience of society. Forget about the world. They don't know better. They're in darkness. They don't have the Spirit of God in them. The, the men of God who are preaching God's Word to their congregations, we are the, you know, the spokesmen of God. We are to, to share His heart. We are to share His warnings. And when the church of Jesus Christ, primarily the pastors and leaders of the local churches, are so watering down the message, deleting all reference to sin and judgment because it's too negative, and it'll drive people out of the church. And I need people here to, to give and to keep the lights on and to keep uh, us paying the mortgage. So they want to water it down. And the result is there is an explosion of meism, and it's in the world, yeah, it always has been in the world, but in the church. Paul, the apostle, again prophesied about what would happen in the last days. I'll just read to you 
uh, a verse here and there out of 2 Peter 3, 1 through 5. He warned us of this very thing when he prophesied in the last days, perilous times will come. He goes on to say, men will be lovers of self. Self-love will be rampant. Lovers of money, lovers of pleasures, rather than lovers of God. You can read the whole passage on your own. Now, guys, and most of you, I think, know this, reincarnation works according to the law of karma. Karma, which is the spiritual law of cause and effect. In other words, whatever you do in this life, well, will be done to you in the next. So if in this life you murder somebody, in the next life you will be murdered by someone else. If in this life you are a very kind person, in the next life people will be kind to you. That's karma. It's the law of cause and effect. But listen to me. Karma doesn't solve the problem of sin. Not like the atonement of Jesus Christ who nailed all of our sins to his cross and through his blood took them all out of the way, marking our ledger, which contained all of our sins against God, paid in full, right? Only Christianity and the doctrine of the atonement rooted in the coming and dying and rising of Jesus Christ, the gospel, fixes the problem of sin. Karma doesn't solve the problem of sin, guys. It perpetuates the problem of sin every crime in this life requires another crime in the life to come every murder in this life requires a murder in the next life to get back at the person who murdered in this life and so on so far from solving the problem of sin karma simply uh, continues it on it just perpetuates it I think that karma is one of the cruelest jokes the devil ever played on the human race what do I mean? It robs man of some of the most basic, and I'm talking about all humankind, not just the redeemed. Because God has made all of us in his image, and we bear some of his traits even as unbelievers. But karma robs man of some of the most basic, beautiful, and important attributes that God has given to us, compassion, mercy, and kindness toward our fellow man. Listen, if you are a true Hindu, a true Hindu, if you saw somebody on the side of the road, starving, impoverished, begging for food because he was dying, your Hinduism, your reincarnation rooted in karma, tells you you can't go over and help that person. They're working off the bad karma from their last life. You go over and you alleviate that suffering. You mess with the karma. They're going to have to come back and suffer all over again. Best to leave them alone. Just let them be. Let them suffer. Let them die. Because they'll come back better next time. Look. I'm going to say this without fear of contradiction. But I believe from my studies that most of the charities, hospitals, and orphanages that have been established in the world, around the world, have been established by far by Christians. I'm not saying the atheists or Muslims or Hindus don't establish any hospitals or orphanages. If they do, it's for their people and their country. I'm talking about Christians who go throughout the world and establish these things, give up their give their lives to go to third world countries to start orphanages and and, uh, and hospitals and things like that. Why is that? Why, why do we do it? It's pretty simple. Because of the love of God which He has placed in His in our hearts as His children. Our God, the God of the Bible, is a loving, kind, gracious, giving, merciful, and generous God. Atheists don't establish institutions like that on a regular basis. Muslims don't. Hindus don't. It's Christians who go into all the world and reach out to the poor, the sick, the handicapped, the orphaned, people of the world, the down and outers, the ones that God says, I have a heart for. I, I'm for the widow, the stranger, and the orphan. And if you give to these people, you loan to me, and I'll make sure you are rewarded. 
Because I have a heart for these people. You're my arms, my hands, my mouth, my feet. You go to them. You surround them with my love. You hug them and you help them. Because you're doing it because that's my heart. That's why we do it. The third element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that she could become a god. She could become a god. There is no ultimate death. And, and then he tells her, you can become God. He said, for God knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Or in other words, Satan told Eve, she would ascend to godhood. Since we're all part of this God force that flows through everything, and I'm saying everything, people, rocks, trees, animals, if this God force flows through everything, that means that all is God. That's what's known as pantheism. Pan, all, theism, God, all is God. All is God. According to pantheism, God is in all, therefore all is God. And if all is God, guess what? That means that I am God. Right? The God force is flowing through everything. I'm a thing. The God force is flowing through me. I'm a God. Which is exactly what Shirley MacLaine declared in the movie Dancing in the Light years ago. She said, remember the scene? I, I think she was on a beach with her hands raised towards the sky. Here's what she said. I know that I exist, therefore I am. I know that God, the God source exists, therefore it is. Since I am a part of that force, then I am that I am. The name of God. Of course, this was at the heart of the great rebellion of Lucifer in heaven, which he eventually exported to the earth, this rebellion. We read about it in Genesis 3. Remember how that Lucifer was created by God to be the most beautiful, the most intelligent, the most gifted angel creation that God ever created. He was the top cherub. A cherub is the highest form of an angel. And he was the highest cherub. He's the guy who was the worship leader of heaven. He was the most beautiful and perfect being God ever created until iniquity was found in him and he fell. And in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, God is talking about the fall of Lucifer. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, that's where all sin begins. I will ascend into the heaven. I will eat the five I wills of Satan. I will ascend to the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Here it is. I will be like the Most High. I want to be God. I don't want to be number two. I don't want God telling me what to do. I want to be God. I want to call the shots. And that's why that is so popular, that thinking today. Because people think if I am God, well, I'm free to worship myself, live for myself, and guess what? Answer to no one but myself. Number four. The fourth element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that Godhood could be achieved through the tree of knowledge. Or in other words, the path to Godhood is through enlightenment. As Satan's lie to Eve progressed, he told her, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat the fruit of that tree, your eyes will be Open. In other words, Eve, you'll be enlightened and you will become like God, or in other words, you will ascend to Godhood. Now, those involved in Hinduism and the New Age movement, which both of them embrace pantheism, believe that although man is God, <laughs> he has forgotten that he is God. And therefore, since, you know, we are a forgetful God, Man must come to a higher level of enlightenment, of consciousness, to the realization of his own divinity, or what some call his higher self. This enlightenment, which is necessary before you can become God, ascend to Godhood, uh, this enlightenment can be achieved through various means. Transcendental meditation is one way. 
Also, you can achieve it, they say, by the use of hallucinogenic drugs like LSD. Or further, there are other techniques like visualization, yoga, many techniques. With Eve, it was, you know, eat the forbidden fruit. That's how her eyes were going to be opened. But today, all kinds of different techniques and methods, meditation, drug use. There are many different uh, techniques being promoted uh, and used to gain enlightenment and ultimately godhood in our culture. Very important. Uh, you see, they tell us, these yogis that are preaching this stuff, uh, they, they tell us the only obstacle that uh, stands in the way of you reaching godhood and your full potential is the way you think, the way you perceive reality. You see, they believe that you misperceive reality and impose upon it your own limitations. What you need to do is come to the realization, to the awareness that you have infinite power and potential within because the God force flows through you. You must understand these gurus tell people, you'll never start enjoying your full God potential until you embrace your divinity and believe that you are God. And that's why Shirley McLean, who is a prophetess for the New Age movement, takes the first, she says this, she takes the first five minutes of every day, listen, reminding herself that she is God. What kind of God are you that you have to remind yourself every morning that you're God? Doesn't sound like much of a God to me. Wake up, oh, by the way, you're God. Remember that today. Oh, thanks for, thanks for sharing, yeah. Um, now, once you realize that you are God, they say, um, with the God force flowing through you, and that you have unlimited power and potential, well, then you can be, begin to use this power to work miracles, overcome weaknesses, heal sicknesses, gain wealth and success. In short, you can use the power of your mind to create your own reality and change the world for the better. Now, guys, this is all based on the Hindu doctrine that the visible universe, the reality that you see, is nothing more than an illusion created by the mind called a maya. And if you want to change your reality, you can do it through the power of your mind. How? Well, there's different techniques. One of them is visualization. So you don't like your reality. You're sick and you want to be healthy. You're poor, you want to be wealthy. You start to visualize, and I mean all day long, you, every chance you get, you focus on an image. Here you are standing by your mansion with, beside your two Cadillacs or BMWs, right? And if you, you think about that strongly enough, you will bring that reality into being and you will become wealthy. You say, well, that's Hinduism. <laughs> check, out the new, check out the Word of Faith movement when you get some time. They have embraced this hook, line, and sinker. In fact, they've embraced visualization as a prayer technique, even though it goes back into the occult as far as back as far back as you want to go. The occult uh, people in the occult have been using this for centuries to create their own reality. I mean, the New Age movement's beliefs are not new at all. They're just Westernized Hinduism, which, as we've been looking at, has its roots all the way back in the Garden of Eden. C.S. Lewis, I believe it was, traced all the major religions and cults back to two primary sources, both of which got their start in the Garden of Eden. Judeo-Christianity, God's truth, and Hinduism, Satan's lie. Both Hinduism and the New Age movement, by the way, they've renamed the New Age movement the New Spirituality because uh, New Age has gotten kind of weird and they, a lot of baggage and People associate it with, with the weird stuff. So now they call it the new spirituality. Both the Hinduism and the New Age movement teach that the only obstacle that stands in the way of you reaching godhood and your full potential is the way you think. Again, the way you perceive reality. They teach that most people, they misperceive reality. They don't think of themselves as a god. 
Therefore, they can't function as a God. They can't reach their full potential. They can't harness the power within, uh, unleashed to the power of thought and mind. If you only knew you were God, you could begin to act like God. That's the problem. You got a planet of people acting like God. It's interesting, these people involved in this new age and this kind of thinking, they claim that if you don't believe you're God, you are filled with pride. And if you do believe you're God, you are the most humble person on the face of the earth. How the devil inverts things, right? It's amazing. But again, guys, the reason people are limited is because they don't perceive their God and they impose their limitations on their reality. What a person needs to do to start tapping into this infinite power within the God force uh, and use it to conquer things like sickness, poverty, bad habits, other human failings is to realize that you are God and and. Uh, and until you begin to realize that and operate under that kind of thinking, you're going to remain a failure in life. You will be your own worst enemy. It's not that you can't be rich or healthy or all of these other things, successful. You are limiting yourself because you are your own worst enemy. You refuse to believe in your own divinity. That, that's where, what it is. You, you are basically fighting yourself. Remember in the Star Wars movie, I can't remember what the, which movie it was in the Star Wars uh, series, Remember, though, if those of you have watched it, remember at one point, Luke is forced to face his fears. Yoda is forcing him to face his fears, and he has a vision where he goes into this cave. And there he's confronted by Darth Vader, his mortal enemy, right? And they both pull out the lightsabers, and they're going at it. And at one point, Luke cuts off Darth Vader's head. Remember, he's got that helmet on, right? And the head starts rolling, and when it comes to a stop, it's facing up, and Luke looks down and sees his own face in the helmet. You know what they were telling you by that? You are fighting yourself if you don't believe. The reason you have fear is because you don't believe you're God. Therefore, Luke Skywalker, you are your own worst enemy. You are fighting yourself. We're all fighting ourselves if we don't believe we're God. We're our own worst enemies. You and you alone are hindering you, yourself from achieving complete divinity because you place limitations on the way you think. That was something that Yoda, okay, little three-foot yogi, Yoda was a yogi of the force, okay? Again, these teachings were designed to indoctrinate. Yes, educate, but ultimately indoctrinate in the thinking of the force. You know how many people turned to the force after those movies started coming out? One guy was waiting 12 hours to watch one of these movies when it first came out, and they were interviewing people. Why are you waiting 12 hours? I, I have to, the force is in there. I have to be in there. Well, dummy, the force is everywhere. You really understand the force. You don't have to be in the show. It's everywhere. But remember Yoda, the little yogi, was trying to teach Luke how to use the power of his mind to do impossible things. And Luke had crashed on this planet, and his starship went into the swamp and sunk, right? So Yoda is trying to get him to use the power of his mind to, to levitate it out of the swamp. And at one point, Luke gets in a little by a couple of feet, you know, and it, all of a sudden, he's covered with sweat. The thing, he just gives up, and the thing sinks back into the swamp. He turns to Yoda and says, you want the impossible. And then Yoda, of course, responded by levitating Luke's spaceship right out of the swamp puts it right on the ground through the power of his mind luke watches that and and after he sets the thing down on dry ground he looks at yoda and says i don't believe it and yoda responds by saying that's why you couldn't do it because you didn't believe your thinking hindered you from doing what you can do if you just believe you are god and a part of this god force Guys, this is the, we could go on for weeks, and you know I could do it if I wanted to. <laughs> Don't get me started. You go online, listen to our Battle for Truth series if you're really interested, okay? But guys, this is the lie. And, and let me just say this, okay? I was telling first service, and I forgot where I, I, uh, uh, I had it. So, so I'm going to have to just add it right here at the end. 
We're talking about LSD. That's what it was. And how that uh, you, can, you can gain enlightenment, and they believe ascend to Godhood through the use of LSD. Uh, hallucinogenic drugs, right? I was telling First Service that many years ago, I, I read a book called Death of a Guru. Now this young guy who wrote this book was a, uh, a guru, was a, a yogi uh, in Hinduism. And his dad had been like, was looked upon as a god of the Hindu faith. This kid was being groomed to take his dad's place, right? And yet he had a Christian servant that served him and prayed for him constantly. It brought this kid, unbeknownst to him, to a crisis of faith. And he took his holy book and a copy of the Bible, because this servant was witnessing to him, and a revolver into his room, locked the door, and vowed that either I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find the truth or I'm going to kill myself. I'm not leaving this room uh, without the answer, otherwise I'll just kill myself. Three weeks later, he comes walking out of that room a Christian. And as he began to, to look at America, he began to realize as he, of course he had the Hindu background, but he began to talk to young people who were on LSD. And they would tell them of these LSD journeys and how they came in contact with these entities. They didn't know what they were, spirits. And the spirits would tell them their names even and give them these messages. And he was amazed because he said the same gods they were, spirits they were quoting were the same gods I was in contact with through transcendental meditation. And he realized that LSD was the kindergarten and transcendental meditation was the graduate school. How Satan got a whole generation, uh, kind of, uh, uh, kind of, um, where they were introduced to Hinduism, unbeknownst to themselves, by drugs. But of course, a lot of these kids realize that acid has some pretty negative consequences at times. You get some bad trips, right? And so what happened was the devil led them right from the LSD. All of a sudden, here comes the Beatles and others from uh, Eastern mysticism flooding America. And you see how it went from LSD to Eastern mysticism, right? As the devil had hooked them with the trips into the spirit realm through the acid, and now they realize they can contact, have the same trips, the same, meet the same spirit guides, uh, you know, without ever uh, taking any drugs at all. So he wrote a book about this, warning people about how the devil is so active in culture today using all kinds of... Those kids in LSD had no idea what the swamis in India were teaching. Didn't matter. They were connected by the devil to a main source of inf an informational hub that the devil was disseminating throughout the world through various groups and people. All preparing them by, by embracing the lie, unbeknownst to them, it, for the coming of the Antichrist. I'll close with that. I believe that the same lie that the devil sowed into the human race in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, he is going to use again. This lie has been growing, cultivating like it was a seed in the Garden of Eden. 6,000 years has become a giant tree that has filled the earth with poison fruit. And people are, are, have been partaking for a long time. It's going to really shift into high gear the closer we get to Christ's return. The sad thing about it the troubling thing about it, many things are troubling, but the one that's really troubling is Paul warned us that in the last days this very lie would come into the church. You say, how could that be? How could Christians embrace Hinduism? That's ridiculous. Well, I think part four, five, I think it was six maybe, of the battle for truth. I titled it the Christian God-men because you have word of faith leaders who are telling Christians that look when a dog has offspring what does he have? Little dogs. When a cat has offspring what does it have? Little cats. When God has offspring what does he have? Little gods. And as God spoke the power is not in God. The power is in the spoken word. That's why it's called the word of faith. As God spoke and things came into existence, you can speak and bring things into existence because you are deity. You are God's offspring. You are little gods. You think we're not in the last days? Our Lord Jesus Christ said, Father, your word is truth. Not 
some vision or meditation or visualization, your word is true. And in this very chapter, verses 31 and 2, Jesus said, in God's truth, will set you free from Satan's lies. Let me just read these real quick. We'll close. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You walk in the light of God's truth. You'll never stumble in darkness. You'll never be, uh, you'll never be uh, uh, directed into error. Isaiah 8, verse 20, God speaking about false prophets, if they do not speak according to this word, my word, it is because there is no light in them. I don't care how spiritual they sound. I don't care if they're doing miracles. If they don't speak according to this word, they are not from me. They have no light in them. Truth from me. It's all lies. Stay away from it. John 8 verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And those are words that are becoming ever more relevant and important in these last days. As the darkness is ramping up, the lies are becoming more pervasive, even as Jesus and the other apostles said, we must know the truth, guys. We must know it with all of our heart and be committed to it because otherwise people are, and it's happening. People have gone to church for 20 years are walking away from the faith, renouncing the faith, worship leaders, conference speakers, pastors. It caused one member of a Christian band named Skillet to say, what's happening to Christianity? May I suggest it's not coming to an end, as in we'll be destroyed. This is God's church. It's never going to be destroyed. But I think God's cleaning house. Judgment begins at the house of God. If God is cleaning house, which I think he might be, he could be doing it in preparation for a new outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Why pour your spirit out on a bunch of apostates? You know, tares among the wheat, goats among the sheep. Let's get rid of them. And now we can focus on the true, and God will use them, us, for a great revival, hopefully, before the end comes. That's my prayer. All right, guys, we will continue in John 8. Remember that song? It is the song that never ends. It's the chapter that never ends. We'll get through it. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And Lord, if we... If we don't study and know your word, we will be deceived. We will, the devil will get us. So give us grace, Lord, to just saturate ourselves in your word. To know it, meditate on it, love it, embrace it, live it. Give us grace. Father, we thank you. We know very soon our Savior is going to come back. And he will destroy the works of the devil and establish a kingdom of true righteousness, a kingdom of truth and light. Give us grace, Lord, to be faithful till he comes for us and we just ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word we ask it all in jesus name amen